scarier part in a way is, is how many of those people are not really getting compensated for yeah. that time as well. So I think it's something that we all have to be aware of as a sector, really, that we're setting the expectation that like, oh my God, social media is a 24-hour job. We can never switch off. That's just the way it is. And actually, it doesn't always have to be the way it is. We can change that narrative a bit. And it's certainly something that I am quite strict about with myself now. Are you a social media team of one? Don't despair, you're not alone. Well, I mean, you sort of are alone, but stick with me. I mean, you're not alone in the sense that there are plenty of other teams of one out there in the sector. Throw into the mix the tiny teams of two or three, and you've probably got most of the sector covered. Being part of such a small team is equal parts challenging and rewarding, and it's certainly worth taking any inspiration and advice you can to make your working lives run a little smoother. And you'll be pleased to hear that one of the best sources of advice in this field is my guest on this week's show. Katie Duddle is the Social Media and Conversion Coordinator at York St. John University in the north of England and is a team of one. In fact, she is the go-to team of one for our sector and has become something of an expert on the subject, blogging about it and speaking at conferences. She gave one such session at this spring's Case Social Media and Community Conference, after which I sat down with her to pick her brains on how small teams can not only cope, but thrive. Katie delivered with a host of great advice, so grab a notebook and pay attention. From the Access Platform, she's Katie, I'm Dave, and this is Inspiration on Tap. them when I've finished asking them. Yep. And then I'll ask you more questions until we get to the end of the list of questions. Yep. Then we're done. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that outline. <laughs> I haven't well, you know, you said you were frazzled and I it's good frazzled. for me to get back into the yeah. into a spin of it. No, that's fair. Almost like I know what I'm doing. Almost. <laughs> Cool. So whenever you're ready. Okay. Um, hi, my name's Katie Duddle. I am the social media and conversion coordinator at York St. John University. Well Katie Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Um, we're sat here in the in the slightly strange looking foyer of, of the Jury's Inn Waterfront Hotel we in are. Brighton, not the railway station one. No, not definitely not uh, that definitely one. Definitely not that one. And you've just presented about being a team of one at the Case Social Media and Community Conference. And that's kind of the, the crux of our conversation. But I guess before that, just for anyone who perhaps um, only has only seen you on Twitter or hasn't seen you yeah. speak before... Just keen to get an idea of what your career path has been so far, because it's kind of it's it's almost led you to being this. You're now this like expert on being <laughs> a team of one or a small team, and it's sort of founded it's found its way throughout your career path, hasn't it? Yes, yeah, very much. So I kind of started. I did a history degree, and then I um, started working in the museum sector in York, and I was doing more kind of traditional marketing. But I knew that I wanted to go more down the digital and social media route. So I moved into a role at the National Railway Museum, where I managed their social media channels as well as doing uh, kind of more traditional marketing campaigns. Um, and then, yeah, I've been at York St John. For about two and a half years now, like I said, my role is social media and conversion. So I do manage the social media channels for the university, but I also do um, some CRM work, kind of data collection software. I manage a team of student bloggers, various different uh, kind of admin bits as well. So, yeah, I've always been in these kind of roles where I've been the, the manager of the social media channels, but had kind of a bit extra as well. So a lot of the time I'm actually a team of like 0.5, 0.75 sometimes on a good day. So, yeah, it's been certainly uh, several, several years of, of that time type of role and I mean you're 
your session that you've you've given a, a few hours before we sat, sit down to record this about being team of one it came out of um actually an unconference session from the 2018 version yes. of case what prompted you to pitch that as an idea for the unconference was it a spur of the moment thing or were you were you going because i know you came out of it with like a really great support network yeah, and it's yeah. become this thing that you're talking about was that the end game or was it just like I'm going to throw this out there as an idea and see what happens. Yeah, definitely more of the latter. I didn't have, I certainly didn't have uh, this kind of end game in mind. It was very much I after having sort of a day and a half, almost two days of of talks from other institutions and listening to them speak about loads of really amazing, creative, inventive campaigns, um, and being re- like kind of really creatively inspired by that. But then always sort of feeling, oh well, that's really nice for them, but I'm one person. I probably can't achieve that. And having that feeling sort of quite consistently. And then I kind of figured, well, I'm probably not the only person in the room who's feeling like that. There's probably other people who are in similarly smaller institutions or smaller teams. Um, that kind of struggle with that type of pressure. So yeah, I just kind of decided to pitch it basically to figure out um, if anyone else was was feeling the same as a sort of therapy session um, for myself. But it, it really resonated with people and uh, lots of people kind of told me that they were feeling the same and that they were really glad that someone else had raised it because they were a bit sure, unsure if they were the, one, the only ones in the room thinking that as well so yeah it was really like kind of warm fuzzies um it turned into and i know it's enabled you to sort of come up with some specifics like almost a coping mechanism for being a team of one or a small team and and we'll we'll go into some of that in a moment but just as a just as a as a gut reaction when that session was over Mm -hmm. i'm guessing you felt quite quite good about it yeah definitely i felt really kind of like buoyed up and and sort of more confident to say like yeah it's a struggle sometimes because mm-hmm. i think there's there can be pressure to sort of just be like yeah no everything's fine i'm just you know i'm on that grind i'm hustling like working really hard and actually it was quite nice to be supported to take a step back and be like actually this is really difficult sometimes and th- this is the reason why because i am one person so yeah it was almost like giving giving ourselves permission to to acknowledge the fact that it was a struggle so yeah it was kind of relief almost and um, i felt that it seemed to resonate with so many people that was kind of my gut reaction i think Mm -hmm. um to start with cool so let's let's go into those um those coping strategies that you've you've been sort of been able to come up with as as a result of doing this session and becoming this this thought leader in small teams the the one you always put front and center (laughs) and it was first on your on your list in your session that we've just seen is having the right equipment for your job and i guess that one whether you're a team of one or you're a team of 20 that's that's massively important isn't it you like you can't you've got to have the right gear to do your job yeah definitely and yeah like you said i kind of usually talk about it first or sort of prioritize it as a point because i think it makes such a practical difference to sort of like the the daily kind of features of of your job um so it is one that is always kind of front and center in in my mind and i've been at both ends of the spectrum really i've been in a position where i only ever had access to my personal phone and my data plan and i've run kind of coverage for uh, events on social media where we were the top trend in the United Kingdom for a full day and we had millions of people looking at our content and BBC News picking up on things but I was running everything through my personal phone with a kind of dodgy camera and like two gigabytes of data that I used up in a day Mm. so um, I've been there and then now I'm in a position where thankfully I do have a work phone now and to see the difference that's that that that's made is why I kind of um, push that quite a lot because 
especially in a field like social media and the last couple of years where there's been such a massive pivot to stories content is is literally impossible to do your job without a work phone now it would be like asking a web manager to turn up and do his job without a computer half the week his or her job sorry um (laughs) so yeah i think it's definitely kind of something that gives you more confidence in your job as well as just being a massive time saver because you're not having to try and find workarounds um, and not having to put out content that you're not happy with or that feeling like you're not delivering the kind of quality that you would expect. So yeah, it's it's definitely a, a big uh, kind of practical point for me as a, as a small team. And it, it feels like having a work phone is all, should almost be a given. I mean, especially for a team of one, like, do you think it's almost unhealthy to be using your personal phone for work stuff yeah definitely and um as as kind of part of the session that i've that i've run at the conference today i put out a survey asking people for um their kind of insights on how they manage social and really kind of a significant number of people said that they they didn't have a work phone and that they couldn't help monitoring things on evenings and weekends because they were just signed into their work accounts on their personal phone mm-hmm. so there's absolutely no separation between work and uh, personal um, and yeah that's massively unhealthy because you you really do need time to switch off or at the very least like if you are kind of using your phone just not have to think about work and only think about your kind of um your personal stuff that you're interested in so uh yeah it's it's kind of easier to make mistakes that way as well it's easier to burn out and yeah it's it's definitely kind of a a real struggle to keep your work-life balance if you're if you're stuck in that situation where you don't have uh don't have a work phone so do you have any any tips for convincing your manager to to like actually cough up and, and give you a work phone i mean i know in in the session that that you gave earlier your top tip for this was was go on strike yeah. which was obviously to, to, to take with a pinch of salt um but obviously you didn't go on strike no. obviously you didn't stop working just because <laughs> Did you didn't have a work out of the phone. office no. but but i guess i i guess like the idea of that in terms of like you know trying to convince people that it's just a phone give me a phone i need this yeah. phone like yeah I think that's the thing is that it's realistic on a, like an organisational level and, you know, even somewhere like York St. John, which is a rel- relatively small uh, university, it's still like getting one phone for one person is not a massive investment compared to some of the money that we funnel into other projects. So, yeah, it's about trying to, for me, yeah, obviously going on strike, uh, that's more about kind of trying not to use your personal phone or whatever kind of equipment that you're using, if that's cameras or your own laptop or anything like that. Trying not to use that because it sends that message that, like, it's not a priority for them to get you the right equipment if, oh, well, they use their personal, so it's fine. Clearly, Clearly they're fine. Trying not to send that kind of message. But it's also about trying to make it really obvious, like, as obvious as possible and as difficult as possible for your managers or decision makers to say no mm-hmm. uh, making it just look like this is the obvious solution to all of these problems so trying to kind of showcase content that you could be creating if you had that phone showcase like the number of hours it takes you to go and try and book a photographer or a videographer or something like that um, when actually you could be creating that content yourself and the additional cost that that incurs mm-hmm. rather than you being able to do it yourself so just trying to find build this kind of big business case to say like look there are so many things that this tiny phone just one tiny phone there's so many things that this has an impact on just give me the phone it's the obvious thing to do and also being kind of persistent in it so that they kind of just want to stop you from whining about it (laughs) also kind of work for me (laughs) good tip no i like it i like it so you've got your phone you've nailed that you've gone on strike you've (laughs) you've nagged them for for as long as it took you've got your phone from there on i'm guessing for a small team team of one 
time management is going to be massively important. Um, have you got any particular recommendations of like time saving tools that you think people should be checking out? Yeah, I think for me, I think different things will work for different people. So for me, it's less about kind of specific tools and more about sort of a strategy or a method that works for you. Mm -hmm. So, and kind of the benefit of being a, a solo team, especially is that you can be quite selfish about that. You don't have to, uh, you know, make sure that your method works for an entire team of people. So for me, I am fairly kind of use fairly simple methods. So I have like a content calendar, for example, which is just a, just a spreadsheet that's kind of color coded and says, well, I posted this content on this day, like really basic kind of at a glance look but what that means is that rather than having to spend time looking at like a fully fledged content strategy or trying to um like scroll back and find things that i've posted or reference things i just have a really easy at a glance content calendar so i can see if there's gaps or i can see what platform i haven't been devoting as much attention to in a while so that's something that is a really simple method and not something that will necessarily be useful for everyone but does make a big difference to me in terms of how i structure my day and what I'm kind of devoting attention to but yeah so I think it's it's about looking at prioritizing the work that's important recognizing that you you probably can't do everything sometimes you just have to say no to things you have to tell people there aren't enough hours in the day um and trying to kind of make sure that you're devoting attention to the things that will actually be beneficial to your audience on social and beneficial to your institution that it's all kind of serving the same purpose and, and working towards those kind of overarching aims that you have um in your role and, and what about dealing with like incoming stuff because that's obviously obviously a key part of a social media manager's job mm-hmm. and again when you're flying solo like having a, a a sort of a full-up mentions column or a full-up dm box like how do you deal with that do you is your mindset to deal with them as soon as they come in or do you do you allocate points of the day? Like, how have you built those expectations with your your audience, I guess? Yeah, so it kind of, it varies depending on what else I have in my schedule. So sometimes I will just have my notifications sat on one screen and I will see them as they come in. If I'm on a busier day or there's other projects that I need to work on, um, I will just kind of s- switch it off for a few hours at a time. So I'll maybe check once in the morning, once at lunchtime, once in the evening and answer things then. So I can have that kind of clear headspace to work on other projects um, during the rest of the day. One thing we never do, though, um, at York St. John, unless there's like really exceptional circumstances, is monitor or check on evenings and weekends. And that's really important for us and for me as a team of one, because I know that if I started to start checking things, it would spiral and I'd be just checking it constantly and I would never switch off. And probably the quality of my work would decrease Mm. kind of correspondingly because I'd just be exhausted. So, yeah, we have that set as a as a kind of formal policy i guess that we just don't check things so it's at the point now because we've been doing that for quite a long time that our audience just know that they're not going to get an answer if it's outside of office hours um and they're pretty happy with that like they know there are other places around the university to get in touch with if they have an emergency or you know like someone's got locked out of their room or something like that like they know that they're not going to get an answer if they tweet us at two in the morning Mm. and yeah so it's not really a a problem for us anymore so I think it's definitely worth looking if you are one of those people who has to kind of monitor on evenings and weekends looking about changing those expectations because I'm sure that like most students will be fine if you just tell them you can't tweet us but you can get in touch through this way instead and that just gives you so much more headspace and more kind of balance between your your kind of home and and work life as well definitely. One of my favorite tips you offered was actually about not being afraid to to take like a 
a simple or, or an easy option in terms of content. So like a bit of campus porn or yep. like a throwback Thursday or, or, or something like that. And, you know, you make the point that like if your audience likes it, then that's that's doing your job for you. The algorithms are probably going to like it because your audience likes it. And I think what I found really interesting was you saying you pointing out it's kind of obvious when, when you point it out, but most people probably won't see it. But as a social media manager, no one else cares as much about your content as you do. And nobody else notices it in as fine detail, do they? So actually yeah. taking that simple option, if it works for your audience it's a good thing right yeah absolutely and yeah that was very much something which I kind of refer back to is that just nobody cares um, <laughs> I mean maybe word it differently which to is, that. <laughs> I, I find useful so other people may find different wording um, a bit more helpful but yeah it is very much about just kind of trying to keep that at the forefront of your mind as well and like it's a good thing that nobody else cares as, as much as you do about that content because it means that you're doing your job right like you should be the person who cares most and is kind of most invested in social media but um, yeah, it's it's kind of about giving yourself permission in a way to think that like, yes, I care deeply about this thing. But at the end of the day, it's a tweet like mm -hmm. about kind of maintaining that perspective and thinking that actually it's it's impossible to deliver like groundbreaking, incredible, amazing content 100 percent of the time. That's just not how the law of averages works. And it's not something that's feasible when you're a, a small team or, or a solo uh, manager. So, yeah, keeping that perspective in mind and recognizing that it's better to do some things kind of invest less time in some of the day-to-day -day things and free up more time to spend on kind of the big impactful campaigns that you know will make more of a difference so yeah just kind of give yourself permission to to take a break and it, it is like you said campus porn is is massive for us and partly because we you know we're lucky to be in a photogenic city like york but pe people love it like they genuinely do some of our best in kind of most engaged posts are just ones where it's literally just a picture of campus or a picture of the city walls or something like that with barely any caption and it's it's not necessarily giving giving people a, like a deep meaningful message about our institutional values but actually we know that people often choose York St John because they really like the city so it is kind of serving a purpose in a way everything that you that you post is serving one purpose or another so just give yourself permission to to do the easy thing sometimes because it still makes a difference so going on from nobody cares <laughs> stats and reporting um i mean how, how important is is this part of uh, part of the the job for you as a team of one like do, do you do you have to produce a lot of stats and reports? Do you, do you have to work quite hard to get buy-in from senior officers? Um, yeah, again, it varies. I feel like I'm answering that for every question. <laughs> it really, it really does. It's definitely something. Stats and reporting is definitely something that I find I struggle to make time for, and that's because quite often I don't necessarily get asked for stats. I find that for social especially it's something where it doesn't necessarily occur to people who aren't kind of in the field of social to like want to understand how things are performing they just kind of think well oh well it's social media isn't it it's not science whereas like we know that yeah it is actually it's mm -hmm. kind of there's so much data at our disposal and and things to to measure so I think it's definitely important to make some time for stats because making people aware of the fact that it's measurable and that we have goals and strategies and things like that is really important. And like you said, getting buy-in from senior managers happens when you can show things like how much reach you're getting and, mm -hmm. and you know, return on investment if that's something that, that you can measure through social for kind of specific campaigns. So it's definitely important, but um, I try not to kind of beat myself up about it if I don't have like really detailed reports all of the time because it is tricky 
tricky to find the time for that. So I try and prioritise just getting out the the stats that I know will be most effective to kind of colleagues and, and managers. So for big campaigns, for things like graduation or open days, I'll kind of plan time in advance to, to crunch those numbers and get those out as soon as possible because I want to do that while it's still fresh in people's minds. So you don't just send them a report saying nobody cares? No, no, I don't do that. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and uh, for kind of regular reporting, I will take just quite a small snippet of um, of data. So things like our like engagement and reach and some content that you know has performed particularly well that month, and uh, and just send that around. And it is fairly kind of low stakes data, but it's enough to just make people aware that social exists and make sure that they remember it in their next kind of you know plan that they're that they're creating. So uh, yeah, it's it's just trying to find a balance of not spent slaving away and spending hours on a report that probably no one will <laughs> will read in full, but still trying to keep a kind of steady level of stats that you can uh, show off all your hard work, basically. Okay. So how do you how do you know when to actually you know switch off and live your life kind of yeah. thing? Because again, one of the stats you pulled from your your pre talk survey was that what was it ninety one percent of people yeah. check stuff out of hours, yeah. and and a lot of them have got legitimate. Re- well fairly legitimate sounding reasons for doing so yeah that's pretty scary as a stat yeah definitely and i think yeah what this, the kind of scarier part in a way is, is how many of those people are not really getting compensated for mm. that time as well so i think it's something that we all have to be aware of as a sector really that we're kind of setting the expectation that like oh my god social media is a 24-hour job we can never switch off that's just the way it is and actually it doesn't always have to be the way it is we can kind of change that narrative a bit and it's certainly something that i am quite strict about with myself now because i've been like a few years ago I would have absolutely bought into that narrative and just been like well it's just part of the job I need to you know I want to impress people therefore I need to be online all the time and you know I did that for a few years and then I found like actually people weren't that impressed they just expected me to keep doing it because they thought I was fine with it mm-hmm. and I wasn't so um so yeah I've kind of changed that that pattern now and it's kind of a gut instinct for me I think really in terms of I, I just I know when I've had enough yeah. <laughs> of, um, of monitoring stuff so there are occasions where you know if I post something like the there's a video that I've worked really hard on and it's scheduled to go out on a weekend. I might check in and just be like, is it doing okay? Because I work really hard on that. Um, and I'm, we all do that now and again, I should think. But yeah, I, I do try and maintain the kind of evenings and, and weekends rule. And I think it's also, for me at least, it's about sort of curating my space on social media so I know a lot of people who will kind of subscribe to the like I'm just going to switch off completely and like never look at my phone and never be on social media outside of work hours and I kind of I find that a bit and again this is personal opinion but I find that quite a severe attitude and I do still enjoy being on social media and Mm. the things that I want to look at and vines that I want to rewatch and things like that on an evening and weekend so it's kind of just about separating even just within social media separating my personal my workspaces so I have like two Twitter accounts and you know the one that like you know you can go and follow me on at Katie Duddle um <laughs> that, that's yeah that's still my kind of work account even though it's not my institutions it's a work account so I don't check that on evenings and weekends I have a separate account which I'm not going to give you the URL for because it's embarrassing um, <laughs> but, um but stuff like that where I just I will just only follow stuff that you know it has nothing to do with social media and higher education it's just mostly memes so yeah it's about kind of keeping that space separate and and like I said you know if you 
are in the kind of unfortunate position where you have to manage work stuff through your personal accounts just sign out of the work accounts on a weekend so you just don't even see the notifications because as soon as you see it you'll have that temptation to check so you just need to kind of remove that altogether or that's what i've found at least yeah definitely an important part of uh, kind of maintaining your sanity <laughs> i mean it's clear for anyone to see like you're you're clearly killing it as a team of one <laughs> Thank and you. and I, I think it's i think it's fantastic that you that you, that you pitched that session last year and you you're, you're able to come and do these these talks and, and articulate it so well uh, is any part of you worried at all perhaps not now it feels like it feels like you're you're sort of you're in a space where you're actually more confident and comfortable with it but have you ever been worried about the effect of doing all this solo work might, that it might be having on your mental health yeah definitely and i think it was kind of it's almost <laughs> like retroactively been made aware of it because like i said like a few years ago i was in a position where i was very much just kind of like oh god i just need to keep trying harder and keep working harder and eventually things will be fine right and it kind of got to a point where I, I did just reach the stage of, of I can't do this anymore I cannot sustain this level of work and this level of kind of personal investment in the job like at the end of the day it's a job it's not my whole like identity mm-hmm. and my whole kind of like value as a as a person so it's trying to shift away from that mindset and I think I have had that in the past couple of years I've definitely managed to become less kind of tethered to like my work being everything that I am and and the the kind of subsequent impact that that had on things like mental health and just my kind of overall well yeah like sanity (laughs) Um, so yeah it's I think for me it's it's about prioritizing like having other things that you draw value from in your life apart from from work and also trying to make sure that trying to recognize when you're in an unhealthy environment and sometimes you might just have to get out of that environment and again I've had that in the past where I was just in a very kind of unsupportive or unhealthy way of working and I just had to leave like and it's difficult sometimes because you want to feel like you're doing the best job possible but sometimes quitting is is the best thing that you can do for yourself and yeah it's something that I'm still very much aware of because I'm in a supportive workplace now and that's brilliant um and you know my managers are great but there is always potential for change like people can Mm. leave people can come and go you can get new kind of strategies in place and things like that but I think now I'm in a position where I'm much more able to stand up for myself and it's really difficult to do that kind of to start with to stand up for your yourself and your health and say this isn't that acceptable but once you've done that like that first step is the the most difficult bit and then you go, grow to be more comfortable with telling people no or saying that you know letting them know when something's unhealthy and when they're putting too much pressure on you and things like that so yeah it, it definitely was something that I struggled with for a while but now I'm in a position where I feel like I can uh, kind of make those decisions more confidently mm-hmm. and I guess I guess being a solo team you kind of you almost exaggerate both sides of this so obviously the negative sides of it they probably hit you harder than you might do it on your own um, yeah. as part of a larger team but on the flip side like you're responsible for for doing all of these things so you you've probably got like you feel like you're a bit i guess you probably feel like you're a bit of a swiss army knife when it comes <laughs> to skills and stuff because you, you're having to pick something up do you like being a team of one yeah sometimes i think yeah it like you said it definitely comes with its struggles but it is quite it's kind of satisfying in a way when you do something really good and you you know you can kind of take full credit for that Um, (laughs) that's quite rewarding and I do think it it comes with an aspect of sort of 
creative freedom and um and I think often as well with something like social media particularly where you might not necessarily have senior managers who really understand what you're doing (laughs) so that gives you a bit more freedom to sort of fly under the radar a little bit um and kind of do things where you know you might not necessarily have have gotten approval if you'd gone through like the whole process of of kind of senior managers approving it in in the first place so yeah it's it's definitely uh can make for a more varied and more um kind of rewarding job sometimes i think yeah it can be can be fun Mm -hmm. so so if say i had a magic wand or just or just some budget that i could allocate to you and i could i could make appear for you two additional team members like are there any are there any particular specialists that you would you would draft in if I could give you those two people and it could be it could be people people more junior to manage and train or it could be particular skill sets that mm-hmm. you'd like to offload onto other people or get expertise like what, yeah. what would you what would you see as your your dream pairing to join you I think probably one would be on the kind of content creation side so kind of like video and photography and things like that because that's something I feel and again I feel like probably a lot of us in uh, kind of social roles are in a similar position where we've kind of picked up bits of skills here and there bits of design bits of photography bits of videography but we're not like properly trained so it's difficult sometimes it kind of like it takes me longer to create a video than it would for someone who's a professional or it's not quite the standard that I would like it to be you know I have a vision in my head and it doesn't quite meet that so having someone who was like actually trained um in kind of proper content creation would be really good for us I think because um I struggle often to create stuff that's that's different and and interesting a lot of the times it's like here is a post with a link and it's like that's fine and for the most part for the day-to-day it's the easy option Mm -hmm. um but um but yeah sometimes it would be nice to do something a bit more inventive so that would probably be priority for me and then I think potentially someone who could kind of take on the responsibility for working across our organization it's something that i struggle with or struggle to find time for is uh, trying to build up working relationships with other staff across the university who manage social channels so for individual departments or courses or faculties or um, kind of student services and things like that we've got loads of accounts but I don't have established relationships with a lot of people who are running those so someone who could take on that responsibility and create a kind of more cohesive organizational sort of I don't know like working group or something like that um, would be would be really useful as well and I think would benefit like the content that all of us are creating across the institution um yeah i think those are probably those sounds, would be my priorities sounds like the the outline of a bit of a dream team that yeah. sounds good now an- another point you you regularly stress with this is that even teams of one who might feel and often are quite literally on their own uh, in terms of their team they're not actually on their own are they there are lots of places out there online particularly that that people can get support and and get get help and, and just just bounce ideas around are are there any are there any resources communities whatever online that that you found useful that you'd recommend to others yeah definitely the the kind of the whole higher ed social community is super friendly and really active which i guess you would kind of expect given that we're all on social media all the time but yeah there's the kind of obviously there's the the conference hashtag so hashtag case smc is kind of active all year round not just on the conferences and that's a really good place to start there's also the hashtag hesm so for higher ed social media um again is really active and there is a kind of corresponding facebook group and a slack channel which are really great as well but i think aside from those it's also it's it's 
it's really great to just kind of reach out to individuals and start those conversations. And I know when I first started in this job and I first started coming to these conferences, I was really like, oh my God, I can't ask these people questions because they're all like amazing professionals and I don't know what I'm talking about. But actually, once I started kind of plucking up the courage to have those conversations, most people were super friendly and really happy to give advice or to kind of, you know, bounce ideas off of and things like that. And actually, most people are just kind of like flattered to be asked about their expertise and were mostly also thinking that they didn't really know what they were talking about and everyone else did. So everyone's in that same kind of situation, that kind of imposter syndrome um, that we all have in this in this type of field that is especially kind of like common i think for for solo teams because you just don't have that basis of comparison so yeah i think it's just just reach out to individuals who are doing cool things and for the most part you'll find they're like super friendly and and happy to help and i've made some really like good friends actually just through uh getting in touch with counterparts at, at similar institutions and just kind of getting to know them so yeah those type of relationships are really important to help you stop feeling isolated and also just to give you that confidence boost where you're like is this a stupid idea i don't know and you can run it past them um and they're usually just like no it's that, that, that's quite good it's fine and it's like oh good because no one in my institution can tell me whether or not it's a good idea because they don't have that expertise like so uh yeah it's definitely really valuable and and has been um a big part of of feeling more confident as a team of one for me great so i guess i guess to finish just a couple of couple of summing up questions for you first off what would you say is the the biggest thing that you've learned in your time as a as a social media team of one? Um, I think it's probably like quite an emotional uh, answer, I suppose, to a, a fairly practical question. But um, I think probably just a more sort of defined sense of who I am at work and more kind of sense of my value of my work and things like that. So understanding that just because I'm a team of one or just because... I'm like in a fairly junior role or something like that doesn't mean that I don't have like kind of like a variety of different skills that are useful to the institution so yeah that's kind of and that's something that's taken time to build but I've kind of learned more to stand up for myself and kind of trust my instincts because you know as as a team of one you're in this kind of unique position of, of having really thorough understanding of your work in the way that people in bigger teams won't necessarily have because they don't see every element of of that kind of team's role they have their kind of specialisms but um but it's not quite the same so yeah just kind of realizing that you have that that overview that no one else has and being more confident in the decisions that you make and the skills that you have and your kind of capacity to like do cool stuff um yeah and then lastly if there's if there are other people listening who are a team of one or even a, just a small team team of two or three yes what what are your what are your top three tips for for not only coping but but thriving in that situation? So I think probably one would be like don't be lonely, don't isolate yourself. Like try and try and build those networks if it's people in your organisation or people in the in the wider community. Trying to trying to find those allies and and reach out to other people that's really important. Probably number two would be sort of not setting a precedent that you can't maintain and this is something that I've I've spoken about before in, in my session that it's it's easy to kind of overwork and set a precedent for like working way over your hours or always being online at weekends and things like that and if that's the precedent in your role I think you probably need to reassess that and make sure that what you're doing is sustainable and that people aren't 
kind of expecting a base level from you that is still way more than you can deliver um, because that will only A, make you miserable and B, set you up for, for failure because you feel like you aren't kind of delivering enough. Um, so that's that's probably my second point. And then I think the third is probably just know your worth. Um, value yourself. I think social as a field is quite often misunderstood um and therefore it's quite easy for people to not value it or not really see it as something that requires unique skills or requires a lot of time but like inside these these kind of like social walls we know that's not true we know it's it's a really valuable thing for an organization it's a really important part of brand and it is something that takes a lot of time and effort and and skills so don't kind of do yourself an injustice like don't kind of put yourself down remember that you're kind of multi-skilled and and talented and there's so many people in this sector doing amazing work and and like we just need to give ourselves a bit more credit for it i think brilliant i think that's that's perfect place to to end it so katie thank you so much for your time for joining me on the podcast as you mentioned you're katie duddle on twitter i am um and i guess people can can look up york st john's account as well to see see what what you're actually (laughs) up to on the work side of things i won't i won't press you for the uh the other twitter account no no Uh, (laughs) just lots of memes lots of memes (laughs) great well again really appreciate you taking the time to join me and uh yeah hopefully speak to you soon thank you very much for having me you've been listening to inspiration on tap a podcast brought to you by the access platform our tool gives you an authentic connection to prospective students in the form of chat content and faqs we'll help you attract convert and recruit more students Find out more, book a demo, or sign up to our awesome newsletter at theaccessplatform.com or say hi on Twitter, where we're at TA Platform. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dave Musson, and my guest was York St. John University's social media and conversion coordinator, Katie Duddle. The Twitter account she's happy for you to follow her on is at Katie Duddle. The other meme-tastic one remains a mystery. Our theme tune and ad music were created for us by Laptop Philharmonic. Find more of this music on Apple Music, Spotify or at laptopphilharmonic.bandcamp.com. Last of all, don't forget to subscribe to this show, Inspiration on Tap, so you never miss a future episode. And feel free to leave us a rating or review as it really does help. Or just tell a friend about our show. Or legally change your name to Inspiration on Tap and give yourself a natural opportunity to tell everyone you ever meet about our show. Catch you next time.